Hello and welcome to the Radio Democracy Podcast. I'm Evelyn Farkas. I'm Mark Jacobson. And I'm Jim Lutis. We're three friends who have dedicated our lives to public service and the study of national security and international issues more broadly. And we're worried. We're worried about the health of American democracy and the appeal of democracy around the world. So we're talking about it in this podcast. Each week, we do a deep dive into one issue and talk about the threats and the hopes we see in the news that week. We're doing this, hoping you'll be as concerned as we are and join us in the fight for democracy. It's 10.04 a.m. in New York, 5.04 p.m. in Kiev, and 7.34 p.m. in Mumbai. Whatever time it is, wherever you are, this is Radio Democracy. So guys, we are in the depths of the summer, but the fight for democracy is ongoing. Mark, you are here to introduce the agenda topic for today. Take it away. Hello, everybody. Again, I'm Mark Jacobson. And Evelyn, I can fix democracy. It's, it's really very simple. Okay. It's the end of the podcast. That's right. <laughs> We're, done. We're done here. We need more church in the state. Now, that's not entirely what I mean, but it's, it's, it's my way of bringing up the issue of, of the obligation we have as citizens to act responsibly in, in order to really preserve our democratic republic. In secular terms, we always talk about rule of law, our responsibility to obey the rule of law. We're a nation of laws. But frankly, this isn't enough. I mean, we know the law is imperfect. Uh, we also know that strong societies have moral codes that guide us. Um, you know, have you ever heard the phrase, well, it might be legal, but it certainly isn't ethical or moral? I mean, the fact is, a good society needs to have strong laws, but even stronger moral and ethical codes. In other words, rule of law is not enough. And look, we've seen this recently. Uh, it's, it's not just that you need laws, you need to have the understanding that you have an obligation, a duty, uh, a moral duty uh, to obey the laws. So I'm going to take a swing here, and this might come as a shock for those of you who know that I'm an inconsistently non-observant Jew, and say that religion may offer us a better guide to being good citizens. Perhaps the title of my talk should be, We Need More Synagogue in the State, as my concept comes from a 1988 article on Jewish jurisprudence by Robert Cover, who was a Yale law professor, a wonderful activist, uh, died a couple of decades ago. But anyway, Cover writes that, quote, in the struggle for universal human dignity and equality, arguably in contrast to modern conceptions of rights, which are primarily concerned with the protection of individuals from the power of the state, the Jewish tradition of commandments, the mitzvot, concerns the duties incumbent upon both individuals and communities, end quote. So a couple of big words there, rights and mitzvah. Uh, the idea of rights, we, we understand our own declaration of independence, uh, those things that we are given, uh, they're unalienable, they can't be taken away. But there's this other term, uh, mitzvot or mitzvah, which is more akin to an incumbent obligation. So let's think about a couple of things here. Uh, maybe voting in the United States. We know that Americans uh, have the right to vote. Um, now I'll get uh, into that a little bit later, but in Judaism, you would say, well, you don't just have the right to vote. You have an obligation to vote. And the challenge is that, that beliefs like this, that, that with rights come duties and obligations, really crashes head on into some American conceptualizations of freedom and liberty. So let's, let's go back to our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Jefferson missed the edit. 
certain unalienable rights and obligations as well. And, and while I've, I've long thought that American patriotism was about the idea of not for self, but for country, it's not just the rights you have and that you're going to preserve these rights and protect these rights, but the, you have an obligation to participate as an informed and engaged citizen. But as I said, Americans have struggled with this. E even we go back to the 18th century, the idea of a universal militia, um, which of course often gets politicized in the Second Amendment debate. But guess what? There was no universal obligation. You could buy your way out of it. Um, you could have a slave take your place. Uh, so Americans, again, th this conflict between liberty, rights, duties, and obligations. Now, Americans, I think... Um, when we think about liberty and rights, uh, we think about things like natural rights, you know, again, uh, those things in the declaration or, you know, here in Washington, D.C. on the license plates, no taxation without representation. Uh, we have participatory democracy. But again, we have laws, not an obligation to participate and um, an economic liberty, you know, whether it's the libertarian protection of private enterprise or this whole big thing about private property, keeping it away from government. And of course, the big one personal autonomy, you know, this core idea that the individual should be allowed to do whatever they wish. But of course, there's some limits on that. And we, we say, you know, so long as that individual doesn't harm others or violate their own rights. So why am I bringing this up today? Well, a couple of keywords, Arkansas, Louisiana, Florida, COVID. People are not fulfilling their obligations to democracy by getting vaccinated. And I know it sounds like a political line, but bottom line is we hear over and over again, this is an individual decision. It's my right not to get vaccinated. And we're now seeing a lot of these people uh, are, are, are getting sick. Uh, they're killing themselves. They're killing their family members. Some of them are showing remorse uh, way too late, but, but really central to what I wanna talk about today is they're putting others at risk. It's their right, but it violates this whole conception that liberty has limits. Liberty has limits, to, to paraphrase Jefferson, that assure members of society can in, uh, have the enjoyment of those same rights. You can't pursue liberty while depriving someone else of life, liberty, and their own happiness. The bottom line is these individuals who are deliberately avoiding vaccination are putting others at risk and avoiding their obligation they're avoiding their responsibilities. And the bottom line is this impacts democracy. Freedom is not free, goes the saying at, at the Korean War Memorial. And the price of freedom, it's responsibility. And we have an obligation to pay that. Jim, I ask you, am I correct? Is the supreme test of democracy that we act out of obligation? Yeah, you know, I've been struggling a little bit with uh, that. That's the central premise there, um, because we we. So I remember I was in my 30s uh, when my old boss, uh, Senator Gary Hart, uh, said something to me that sort of knocked me for a loop. He said, "The citizen is the most important player in a republic." And I, it's a sort of I, I think about it now. I'm like, "Well, gee, how come I never put those pieces together before?" But it, it's a fundamental insight about Republican government, little r, Republican government, that it is the citizen. It's where the sovereignty lies. They have the power. They choose the leaders collectively. And that, you know, not to quote Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. As you were talking, Mark, I kept thinking, the word that kept leaping into my mind, particularly when, when you were uh, in, invoking your Jewish heritage, um, 
was, is the word covenant. Uh, and, and, and the idea that there is an obligation, not just between, uh, uh, not just an obligation for the, for the people to worship God, but there were things that God would do to protect his people. In a democracy, in a republic such as ours, there's a covenant, a social contract is what we would call it, uh, between the people who are governed and, and the government that serves them. Um, so it's a mutually enforcing relationship. But I found, you know, as you were walking through the more recent events in, in the parts of the country that have such horrible vaccination rates, um, is this idea that we're, we're, we're consumed by a kind of narcissism in the United States, uh, that I, I can be smart enough to know better than CDC. I can be smart enough to know better than all the doctors and public health officials who have literally dedicated their lives to developing the expertise for this particular moment. But because I read something on Facebook or I saw a video on YouTube or I heard something on Fox News, I know better than all of those experts. And therefore, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get a vaccine. I'm not going to wear a mask and you all can go pound sand. Yeah, this is you've got again. I think you have a tendency in the country, and I, I'm not, and I understand where this comes from. It's, it's the way we're taught about civics, individual rights. It's it's part of the heritage of, of the nation, for better and for worse. But then you've reinforced that attitude uh, with, you know, as Tom Nichols uh, writes about the death of expertise, and, and you have a really uh, volatile mix here. That that not only you know I shouldn't trust government because all government is about is taking away my rights. Um, and, and we're seeing this across the board, uh, you know, with, with, where, where people aren't trusting government at all. I, I, but I think you're, what I really lash onto is what you were talking about with, with uh, Gary Hart. I think that's right. The citizen is key. And, and there are two sides to that. The citizen makes democracy work. The citizen protects democracy. But at the same time, if the citizen fails in their duty and obligation, democracy falls. But you started off, Mark, talking about, you know, putting the church back into the state. And I think what you meant by that was, you know, reasserting something cultural, you know, this idea of obligations, this idea of putting the community, not first, because, because unfortunately, what happened in the past is in the name of putting the community first, you know, we suppressed human rights, uh, humans in general have, have and continue to suppress human rights. So, you know, individual rights are important, but the obligation, the idea that even though you have rights, you may set them aside or you may curtail them for the greater good is something that's been lost with the erosion of religion in society. But we can reassert it. We don't necessarily have to turn back to religion necessarily. I mean, it's one way, but some of the religions, I mean, and religious people that we see behave in ways that are quite inconsistent with the ultimate teachings of, well, and of, I, I want to of sort of the challenge New a, Testament, for example. Go I, on. I want to challenge the central premise of the entire argument, though, is that and, and I think that it's not so much that um, religion is removed from American life today. I think it's that religion is more political in American life today than it's ever been before. When you think about the, the, the mainline Protestant churches in the history of the United States, 
They played an important role, but they stopped at the edge of politics. The Catholic Church and the figure of somebody like Father Coughlin in the 1930s was much more political, much more um, populist in, 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 in pockets. But the church as a whole, the Catholic Church as a whole, uh, try to stay studiously out of politics. It's really a phenomenon from the early 1980s through the present day where, you see, where we see this rise of a political Christianity, uh, which is has, has really reshaped certainly politics in the Republican Party, uh, but even just politics more generally across the United States today. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I agree with that 100%. And I'm not a historian and you are, so I'm, I hesitate. But if I think back on all Listen the arguments- Listen to the expert. The <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the arguments against you know slavery, um, the abolitionists were really led by evangelical you know protestants who were who were leading the political charge frankly or the cultural charge maybe but i think it but it does get to the point of what is our culture what is what is the ethos in our society regardless of religion and we have you know when you were talking you you brought up the COVID example, but I was thinking about how people behave on aircrafts and in airports these days. You know, they're so impolite with one another and they're out for themselves with no concern for other passengers, no concern for the you know, flight crew trying to do their jobs. Um, it's, it's, it, it is, as Jim said, a narcissism of the highest order. And somehow our society has made that, uh, if not acceptable, you know, excusable. That, that's see that's exactly right i think you know rule of law the laws can take care of some of those issues on the aircraft but to prevent them in the first place you know we could say well they have to have the right upbringing well they, they have to be a responsible citizen uh, you yeah. know to, to go further you know we've we've spoken on this uh, podcast about civic education and i'm sure we will again but you think about the concepts of national service and civic education you know wouldn't it be awesome if we can make them obligatory you know um i'm sorry that's probably the wrong word wouldn't it be awesome if we could make these things mandatory no that's not what you want you want them to become obligatory in the sense that wow before i go to college i have an obligation as an engaged citizen to do some public service, whether it's medical, uh, military, educational, that I should do something. And I think that, you know, as we start to uh, hopefully build upon the resurgence of interest in civic education and national service, we think about those things, back to your point, Evelyn, that religion can bring in. And, you know, and I'm not trying to say, you know, you bring in a prayer circle to every public school. That's that's not this part of it. It can be done in the family. It, it really could be done in the schools as just part of a sense of, of what civic duty is. Well, and, and, and that's and, where and, I say there's a guide. Yeah, and I think it's coupled with, you know, again, it's not just the erosion of religion and common principles, obligations, mores that has occurred in America in particular, but we also have an erosion of community. You know, the Obama's um, Surgeon General, who is now Biden's Surgeon General, Surgeon General, when he left, one of the last things he called out was the the despair in our communities, the the plague of loneliness. Um, and I forget he called it a, um, you know he had a medical term for loneliness. And, and I think the loneliness epidemic, I think that's what it was, loneliness epidemic 
is a result of the erosion of community, which of course has been exacerbated by COVID. So hopefully this means we'll have to, you know, have a backlash in a positive way towards community, towards supporting one another, but we're not seeing it yet. Let me take a shot at Obama, though, since you brought him up. And, and again, former administration appointee, voted for him, very happy to. Um, think he was a wonderful president for the most part. He's having his, uh, what, 60th birthday party uh, out. Uh, he canceled it. He Did he cancel it outright? They, they, well, they, they, they went they, from 500 guests to. I got it. But the notion, hey, it's entirely legal. We can do this. We can be masks, masked. I don't know whether it's accurate to say, you know, look, you have a moral, moral or ethical obligation yeah. not to do this. You certainly do as a key influencer. And yeah, right. it took a little bit of pressure for them to change. Great on him for doing that. That puts him, uh, you know, light years ahead of, um, you know, DeSantis and, and some of these other fools who are, you know, mandating that people don't wear masks. But, um, but still, I, I think we all need to think about um, the sense of duty and obligation, especially in a time of national crisis. Well, kids, um, we have come to the time in our program where we talk about the news of the day. And in particular, we select a couple of news items that either give us hope or give us fear and still fear um, with regard to the future of democracy so or the current state of democracy. So um, let me turn to you, Jim. What is your story of the week? Well, I, I'm not sure if it's fear or outrage, but it's it's in the negative category nonetheless. So uh, this week, uh, Fox News uh, anchor uh, Tucker Carlson was broadcasting from Budapest, Hungary, uh, and featuring prominently the uh, record, I guess you would call it, of one Viktor Orban, uh, Putin's favorite Western uh, supposed president, who's really a dictator in Hungary at this point. Uh, and he has uh, a track record of xenophobia, of uh, anti-gay legislation, of authoritarian uh, politics. Uh, and the idea that the most popular broadcaster on Fox News has spent an entire week uh, of his broadcast time uh, celebrating the Hungarian dictator uh, to American audiences is beyond the pale. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with that. Um, it's disconcerting that we have, frankly speaking, a major you know, television network allowing him to do this, um, to highlight, uh, uh, you know, Viktor Orban has said that he is espousing illiberal democracy, which is basically cancels out the word democracy so yeah you know freedom house has said in recent reports that hungary has seen a stunning democratic breakdown and unparalleled unparalleled democratic deterioration over the past decade that's all victor orban has anything yeah. good ever come out of hungary uh farkas family I'm, family I'm <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of good wine and you know sausage and uh Excellent recipes. Come over to my house. I'll make you some some chicken paprikash. Um, okay, so moving ahead, but I would prefer that they go to a country. You know, let's pick Norway or some other country and highlight how they're how they use democracy and capitalism to come up with solutions for their people and let the viewers learn from positive examples. Okay, over to you, Mark. Well, uh, I I foreshadowed a little of this uh, in my previous uh, talk, but. Uh, I'm going to focus on uh, Senator John Ossoff from Georgia 
and his introduction of a bill establishing the first ever statutory federal right to vote. Now, again, we understand that voting uh, rights are to some degree enshrined in our constitution, people have the right to vote. But at the same time, we've seen that state and local jurisdictions can whittle away the ability of people to register to vote, uh, casting a ballot and having their ballot counted. And, and this is sort of a uh, parallel to uh, what spurned the uh, uh, Voting Rights Act uh, in, in the civil rights era, and which again has expired. Uh, but the Right to Vote Act, as it's called, is designed to protect all those actions needed for Americans to participate in elections. In other words, it's going to enable any individual to challenge in court policies that make them harder or make it harder for them to participate in elections. And in particular, this is aimed at uh, states and local jurisdictions that are placing burdens on people's right to vote. And lest you think that this is, well, it's across the board, we're concerned about voter ID, no. It's saying, hey, we don't take a position on whether you should have an ID to vote. And truth be told, I think you should. But what we're saying is you can't block people's ability to get an ID once you've told them it's needed to vote. And these are some of the tricky things, frankly, that GOP is doing uh, to uh, suppress democratic votes. So um, actually my story is related to yours, Mark, because you know, out of concern, I think uh, not, you know, out of concern over January 6th, which basically was a blatant coup attempt by President Trump and his allies. And we will see more evidence for that as the January 6th commission continues its work. Max Boot wrote an excellent opinion piece this week where he essentially points the finger at the Republican Party across the spectrum to include, you know, going from this conspiracy theorists and the rabble rousers who are in Congress like Marjorie Taylor Greene and um, Paul Gossar, um, those folks who were there at the inception and fueled it and plotted it all the way through to some, you know, Republican thinkers who are trying to dismiss or just say, well, you know, we do have concerns about election integrity, which is ridiculous. Everybody has concerns. Everybody wants to make sure elections have integrity. But all of this is, is, is providing the opening to passing legislation, which ultimately, I think, in its most pernicious form, and includes what you talked about, Mark, but also allows officials, Republican officials, you know, at the federal and state level to overturn local elections, which is absolutely vehemently, virulently, viciously undemocratic. And so I think, you know, what Max is saying is watch out because if the Republicans win in the next elections, they are excusing this violent attempted coup fueled by Trump and his allies, plotted by Trump and his allies, and certainly plotted by his supporters. And in excusing it, they are, they are providing, they're smoothing the way for laws that allow Republicans to wrest political control undemocratically from the people. Well, and, you so know, this, this is my, unfortunately, you know, um, negative story. It's a nightmare, right? And, you know, Ev, you, 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 we talked about this a little bit before, but there was a, a Justice Department draft letter uh, from the Trump administration, during the Trump administration, uh, that was drafted to political leaders in Georgia uh, to basically tell them, overturn the election. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, it's what gave many commentators in the last week the conviction to finally call the events between Election Day and Inauguration Day of 2020, of 2021, a failed coup attempt. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the nightmare scenario, I think, for all of us 
is that if if you know what we see what i see happening in state legislatures across the country is an effort to actually clear away the guardrails of legitimate democracy so that some future president let's be honest it could be a democrat it could be a republican but right now the danger seems to be principally from the republicans but to clear the way so that some future president and some future unscrupulous administration has the power and the ability to overturn legitimate elections. And that that is a nightmare scenario for American democracy. Right. And you bring us right back full circle to obligation, which is what Mark started us out with, because obligation is, is what that Justice Department official had in the form of actually taking an oath. And so it was an official obligation that they were essentially sweeping aside, disregarding and flouting in actually making that request. Well, Amen. Well, we've come to the time in our podcast where we've run out of time. Thank you so much, all of you, for tuning in this week to Radio Democracy. Every week we shed light on an issue we think is important. We hope you'll think about it. We hope you'll act in your own corner of the world to help defend our democracy. Please tell all your friends, your family, your neighbors about our podcast. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Whatever time it is, wherever you are, this is Radio Democracy. Thank you.